The word of God upon which we meditate in this message is Titus chapter 3, verses 4 through 7, where Paul writes, But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might become heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is the word of the Lord. There actually was a time before YouTube, before TED Talks on YouTube, um, in which credentialed individuals can spread their wisdom and tell you uh, what to do and how to live and how to think and what might be better for you in your life. When those credentialed individuals didn't have YouTube or really any broadcast media, what they would do, and I'm thinking of like, let's say, the earliest days of the 20th century, the 1900s, is they would go from town to town and they would have speeches. They would hold town halls. They would be invited to speak on a subject because they were considered experts. And this morning I am reminded of the story of one of those experts, an eloquent atheist, the point of whose speech was to prove to everyone in that town hall that Christianity and the Bible are just a hoax. And the way he would do that was not necessarily to try to say that Jesus of Nazareth was not a historic figure. That's not how he did it. But instead to say, well, yes, Jesus of Nazareth was a historic figure, but he didn't do any of those miracles that the Bible says he did. And he certainly was not the son of God. And so, this man would say, those resurrections that you read about in the Bible, like Jesus raising Lazarus from the dead, that was a magician's trick by which Jesus could just fool the masses and gain some followers. And then he would clinch his point at the end of his talk by saying, and now who of you can tell me why Jesus said, Lazarus, come forth. And that's when an older gentleman in the back of the room got up off his chair and he said, I'll tell you why Jesus said, 
Lazarus come forth, because if he hadn't said Lazarus, he would have had the whole graveyard in Bethany rising from the dead. There was a man who truly believed in the power of Jesus Christ to raise the dead. I do too. I hope you do. But about two millennia ago, Jesus ascended from this world. He's not raising anybody from the dead anymore, right? And the apostles to whom he gave the power once in a while to raise the dead, you can read about that in the book of Acts. Well, they're dead and gone. There's no miracles like this happening in our world anymore, right? Well, my testimony to you today is it happened to me. In my parents' home in Watertown, Wisconsin, in February of 1963, it happened to me. I was raised from death to life. And my further testimony to you would be that it happens to lots of people. It has happened. It will happen right under this pulpit. Oh, pastor, you're talking about baptism. Well, that's a, that's a fine church custom. That's a nice tradition that we have inherited from our forebears, whereby we welcome a baby or a child or an adolescent or an adult into our church family. That's what we're doing with baptism, right? We're welcoming somebody into our church family. Oh, it is way, way more than that. And today we have a word of God that delves into it. Titus chapter 3 talk exactly what happens with baptism. What's going on with baptism? And on this day where we heard earlier how Jesus was baptized in the Jordan, and he put his power into our baptism, let us consider the miracle of baptism. And I, I cannot think of a better word for it than that. It's a miracle. It is death to life stuff. It is resurrection from the dead stuff. Your baptism. My baptism. It's a miracle that God in his wisdom and in his grace, has put in your hands and in my hands too. So let's contemplate this morning the miracle of baptism where the triune God does all the work and the baptized get all the benefits. This is such a beautiful passage, Titus 3, 4 through 7, because it is chock full. It is like it is, it is loaded with references 
to God's grace and mercy. But to really appreciate it, you got to go back one verse to Titus 3, verse 3. And, and this is what Paul says was true of people like you and me. At one time, he wrote, at one time, we were foolish, disobedient, deceived, enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. Well, that's not pretty. In fact, it's, it's wretched. And I wonder if young Pastor Titus or the people on the island of Crete in the Mediterranean during the first century AD who were being ministered by him. I wonder if Christians in Milwaukee in the 21st century, I wonder if we ever think of how that word, wretched, really applies to what we once were. This is who we were, Paul says. And how is a cesspool of a heart like that? Hated and hating. How is that heart going to change itself? How is a heart like that going to go from being turned away from God to being turned toward God? It can't do it, so God must. And God did. If you can say, Jesus is my Lord and Savior, and mean it, God did that. He turned your heart. That's what conversion means, turning. He turned your heart into one that clings to God now in faith. And he says, Paul does, that God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit were all involved in this turning. God the Father had compassion on your situation, mine too. So much compassion did not want us to be turned away from him. So he did something about it. You know what he did? He sent God the Son. He sent God the Son into our lives and into our world, where God the Son took all of our sins upon himself, and he did the work of saving us, and then sent God the Holy Spirit into our hearts, so that the work of the Father and the Son is ours. So all three persons of the triune God doing all the work to turn your heart from death, spiritual death, to life. Well, where does baptism come in? Listen to what Paul says. God saved us through the washing of rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us. 
The Bible teaches baptism is a washing. It is a, it's an application of water, but not the simple application of water like taking a shower or bath. It's water connected with God's word. And that's the Bible's definition of what it means to be baptized. Now, what does Paul say here? He says God saved us through a washing. A washing of regeneration and renewal and rebirth. A pouring out, he says. Words that refer to baptism. And what's more, Jesus talked about this. He said that I want you, the church, you know, I want my disciples. He said, I want you to go and make disciples of all nations. Well, how are we going to do that? Baptizing them. Baptizing them. So the way that God makes a disciple, because, listen, you and me can't do it, but God can. God can make a disciple, and he does it through baptizing. This is God's way to do his work. But he places it in our hands. Our trembling, imperfect hands. And sometimes I think that because baptism has been given to very imperfect people like you and me, and because the scene is so simple, you know, a little application of water on somebody. And, and, and maybe also this, because we might see it so often. Um, you know, in a church like St. Marcus, you're, you're probably going to see a lot of baptisms. And all of that can work to maybe be uh, almost like a temptation in our heart to refuse to see baptism as the miracle of God that it is. It's almost like this. Well, can baptism really be a miracle? Because it sure doesn't um, look like a miracle. And so we go by what our eyes see rather than what Scripture says baptism is. And then we tend to turn baptism into something like, well, it's a work or a custom or a ceremony or a commitment or a dedication. It's something that we do for God rather than listening to what God says in his word. It's something God does to us. Baptism is a miracle that is from heaven down to us. It's God working on us. It's the miracle of death to life, rebirth into God's family by the gift of faith in Jesus. And so 
Let's stop despising baptism, if we are, by being fooled, maybe, by the simplicity of the scene. Instead, let's just rejoice in it. And let's be amazed by it that God has given us this gift whereby he works on our hearts. He raises us from spiritual death to spiritual life. And then Paul goes on to say in this word of God today, he says, that ain't even the half of it. (laughs) I mean, it's one thing to have to have God raise you from the dead. But now let's just think about the life he has raised you to. He says, we've been justified by his grace and we become heirs having the hope of eternal life. All right. Justified by his grace, heirs of eternal life. Wow, that's a lot. You see, when God acts on you, when God's grace is poured out on you, oh, there's going to be blessings, there's going to be benefits, there's going to be changes in your life. Justified by his grace, he says. Have you ever wondered what that word means? You know, what does it mean? Why is it such a big deal to be justified by the Lord God? The word means to be declared not guilty. And you kind of figure that out from like taking a trip in your mind to about a mile from here, that direction, I think, to the Milwaukee County Courthouse. And so just imagine you're in that courthouse and you are accused of something. But now under our system of jurisprudence, you're supposed to be presumed innocent. And then, if on the basis of the the rules of evidence and the rule of law, uh, you are found to be innocent, then the judge is going to say, I declare you not guilty. Not guilty. Okay, that's how it works in our world. Now you got to go to a courtroom that isn't in this world. Go to God's courtroom. And he's the judge, and we are the accused again. Presumption of innocence? Nope. And here's why. Because on the walls of his courtroom, there's there's scriptures. Scriptures that say things like, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. A scripture like, there is no one who is righteous, not even one. And the fact is, we wouldn't even have to read those scriptures on the wall if we would just be honest when we look at ourselves. Because we know we've fallen short of God's glory. And we know that there is no logical, human, reasonable way that we should ever hear God, the righteous judge, say, Dan Leiber, you're not guilty. We we should not expect that. But then he does. He says this. He looks at you and me 
guilty of sin as we are, and he says not guilty. Why? Because into our courtroom, into our life, has walked the Son of God, Jesus Christ, upon his shoulders, and then he walks out of that courtroom, and he walks up a hill, and he holds his arms out, and he is crucified. And he says, Father, judge, Father, forgive them. And when the Son of God forgives your sins, when the Son of God takes away your guilt, you are not guilty. And when the Son of God gives you his innocence, you are innocent, justified by his grace. It becomes ours through the gift of faith, faith which is like an open hand that just receives this gift. And the Bible says, this is one of the blessings of baptism. And then Paul says, you're an heir of eternal life. When I hear the word heir, maybe you too. I think of an inheritance. And to believe that you're going to get some huge inheritance, that's pretty exciting. I researched the top 10, uh, that is um, the biggest dollar figure inheritances in the United States in 2021. Guess what? All 10 of them are being contested in court. Because... When there's that much money on the line, greed, contention kind of comes in, right? And, and who knows who's going to get what from that inheritance? Not so our inheritance. One of the things that your baptism tells you is that you are an heir of eternal life as certain as the Son of God who gave it to you. And what's it worth? Well, the Bible says that when we come to believe in Jesus, that's the work of the Holy Spirit. And, and the Holy Spirit becomes a, and this is the term that's used, a down payment. It, he becomes a guarantee of something that is worth an astronomical amount. Being in the presence of God and in his glory forever and ever. This is the inheritance that the Bible says is yours in part through your baptism. So how are those benefits justi justified by his grace? heir of eternal life. How is that, that going to affect you in the way that you live? I, I've talked to lots of people that their problem with baptism is like, why does it happen only once? And my response to that is, well, it may happen only once, but the benefits of it are all day, every day of your life. 
Every day, my dear friend, you can know that you are a child of God and you can live that way. And that means that you do not, you've got power. You've got power to say no to sin. You have power to not cave in to the pressures of this world. You don't have to listen to the crowd when the crowd is telling you to turn your back on God. You're a child of God. That's a blessing of baptism. Here's another one. Every day that you you know that heaven is your home, and that is news that you can share with others. You got power to flip that bushel basket off of that little light of yours and let it shine. We can all shine our faith, showing the way to Christ. And this too is a blessing of baptism. Here's another one. Every day that you you know that you are a forgiven child of God. And I don't know about you, but for me, that is my only power to forgive somebody else. Know that you are forgiven and you will be able to pass it on. You will be able to not hold a grudge. You will be able to have a heart that forgives others. Why? Because we have been forgiven so much. I guess what I'm saying is every day you get to cherish the miracle of baptism in your life. And there really is no other word for it. It's a miracle. And if, my friend, you or a loved one haven't been baptized, Let's get that conversation going. Let's start the conversation of the washing of regeneration and renewal being a part of your life. Amen. This message was a production of St. Marcus Lutheran Church. For similar content, subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, or our YouTube channel. For more information about how to support our urban gospel ministry in Milwaukee, please visit stmarcus.org.